people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Welcome, Christian Israel. Pastor Eli James here. And this is Restoration Hour, 1029-2022. And tonight's subject is going to be an examination of Christian identity versus Judeo-Christianity, okay? And uh, let me just get into the chat room here real quick, and I'll post the link of the article. And if we have time, which we probably will, uh, I want to do a brief study on the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and the DNA code. I posted that on the... uh, main website. Attention please, Yahweh and your DNA, that's on the main page of Eurofolk Radio. Uh, When you get a chance, please go there and check that out. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to uh, do this this article. And let me just open the uh, chat room real quick so that I can post this article in your midst. And let's see, it's taking forever, but here we go. Paul Eric is in the chat room, Swamp Fox, Control V, there it is. Okay, Faith Web Study, and let's get right into it. It's called 21st Century Christianity, Reductionist Relativism, Judeo-Christianity, and Christian identity. So, it's calling Judeo-Christianity a form of reductionism and relativism. And I think the word relativism should be pretty easy to understand. Relativism means that everything is relative, not absolute. Of course, we know Yahweh's holy word in the scriptures is not relative, it's absolute. And then reductionist would mean to reduce everything to a particular argument, to a particular level of argument. And of course, that is Judeo-Christianity, but uh, there are more than one level of argument for Judeo-Christianity. But by and large, it is dispensationalism. Dispensationalism is the false belief that the Jews are the Israel of the Old Testament and that when the Messiah came, the Jews rejected him, therefore making believers, i.e. Christians, the new Israel, taking the place of Israel, you know, or, or taking the place of the Jews. And of course the Jews claim to be Israel, so in the minds of the Judeo-Christians, they, the believing Christians, now take the place of Israel. That's your basic reductionist, relativistic argument. And of course, the Jews call this replacement theology. In other words, the Christians are trying to replace the Jews as Israel. But of course, we know that the Jews themselves 
created the first relativistic reductionist argument. They are the actual replacement theologians because they are the ones who have replaced Israel in the Old Testament. So welcome. This, this ought to be good, folks. And if you want, uh, if you want confusing stuff, <laughs> clarified. All right. Yes, we all want cl- clarity, don't we? I'll try to give it to you tonight. But here we go. Here's the forward. To be a Christian in the 20th and 21st centuries is a feat in itself. Well, it's very, very difficult to be a real Christian because the vast majority of Christians are not, not in, they're not even close to being Christians in the biblical sense. They simply believe in a set of doctrines that their denomination has created for them, very few of which have anything to do with Scripture, or if it does have anything to do with Scripture, it's a total distortion of the scriptural meaning of the verses. And then you have, uh, as Brother Abraham likes to say, 33,000 denominations who are all reductionist relativistic denominations who basically make things up and try to make or reduce the Bible into their mode of thinking and their mode of argument. And that's, this is literally what we have in the world today. It is crazy. It is absolutely crazy. None of these denominations, especially those of the 501c3 variety, and most of them are, have totally abandoned the covenant message. The covenant message is the only valid message given in Scripture, namely that Yahweh made his covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the direct descendants thereof, and with nobody else, especially not the Jews. And that's that's identity Christianity. Now, uh, he doesn't use the term Christian identity he uses the term identity Christianity, which might in itself be problematic because that, that may be a more general term, but we'll find out. Okay, so the author goes on to say, the denominational approach to the faith made it evident that mainstream Christianity has metamorphosized into something that is akin to and resembles Christianity, but its substance has adapted and metamorphosed into something that has either become or borders on heresy. <laughs> that is for sure. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 comes to mind, where uh, Christians have had a great falling away, the great apostasy of Christendom. I'm sure the author will mention that in passing in this article, but that's literally where we're at. The great falling away, the great apostasy has come upon us. And the fact is that the mRNA vaccine, or vaccine, has enabled our DNA to be transmogrified, to dig up an old word, transmogrified our people with three strands of DNA, We're supposed to have only two, but they have injected a third strand of DNA, which is the DNA of the fallen ones. That's what's contained in the shots. Okay, so let's continue. The impact of the various worldviews in a pluralistic society, secular, cultist, and non-Christian religions, philosophies, etc., have not only influenced 
national, national and international legislation and policy, but also place true Christianity on the defensive, if not into a semi-underground condition that is reminiscent of the apostolic times. Yes, how often have I said that we are at the same position today that the early Christians were at then. We are being destroyed by the Antichrists among us, around us, all around us. And now they're trying to get within us by injecting the mRNA strand into our DNA and making us hybrids, chimeras. That's exactly what the, you know, the synagogue of Satan is trying to do with their mark of the beast. And there's no doubt the mark of the beast is the gate's jab. But it's gotten even more sophisticated since we first brought this subject up a couple of years ago, talking about the number 666 and how it, it, uh, it has all kinds of significance to the shot, the Bill Gates jab, and how they're trying to make us into, oh, well, it's not just transgender, transhumanists, chimera hybrids, That's what they're trying to do. They're not just trying to make us sick. They want to sever the connection we have, the genetic DNA connection we have with our creator Yahweh. There's absolutely no doubt that this is what they're trying to do. And in fact, many people, Christians, have reported that once they got the shot, it seems like their connection to God was lost. That's deliberately what they're trying to do. If they don't kill us, they will disconnect us from our maker. But, and the author is absolutely right, that we are now being persecuted by the same enemy just as we were in the days when Christianity was just getting off the ground. So it's kind of come full circle. Christianity has built itself up to be, if not a world-dominant religion, but it created a culture which has dominated the world because of the moral code that is built into our DNA. And as we got got more and more powerful and not lorded over our enemies, not by military might necessarily, but by cultural superiority, that has now collapsed. And now the Antichrist people, the people of Antichrist, synagogue of Satan, the perfidious Jews, and their allopathic medicine cohorts are trying to destroy our DNA because they know that the white race, especially those of us in Christian identity, are the true enemies of their master plan. But rather, but they haven't been able to, <laughs> to inject the Christian identity crowd. Rather, what they've done is they've injected the liberals who are basically on their side, thus actually depopulating their own group, namely the liberals and the Democrats. So, But ultimately, they, they plan to inject all of us and or starve us out. And so this big starvation has begun. And I just heard again today that more and more, not just farms and food processing plants have burnt down or been blown up, but that oil refineries all over the world are being targeted and having all kinds of explosions. So they are definitely trying to starve us out. Absolutely no doubt about this, folks. Okay? 
And if, the, if they can't kill us, they'll try to transmogrify us into some hybrid creature that w- whose DNA will not be acceptable to Yahweh, etc., etc. They're using every trick in the book, throwing everything at us. But those of us in identity, we are the ones who are going to stand tall and resist all of this garbage pseudoscience which those who are, let's see, influenced by authoritarianism, by peoples wearing smocks with, with, with goggles and with, with stethoscopes around their necks. Uh, sorry folks, I'm not impressed. That don't impress me much. But the vast majority of people on earth who don't have, well, let's say, the skeptical mindset that resists fake authority, they're going to succumb to all this deception. We in Identity have been pointing out the nature of the deception before it even started in 2020. Okay, so let's continue here. Yes, it has put Christianity on the defensive if not into a semi-underground condition that is reminiscent of the apostolic times. Well said. Gone are the days when, in an effort to limit the excesses of heathen relativism, slavery, brutality, bloodlust, human sacrifice, the Christian ethic provided a guiding light and standard to running running government, resolving legal and international disputes, and improving social structures, quality quality, individual, and family life, intellectual pursuit and development towards a self-perfection that is a moral self-perfection on behalf of Yahweh and his son, Yahshua. Hold on, folks. I have to take a quick, short break here because I've got a glare, not off my TV screen, but off my keyboard. And I've got to cover the glare with paper because it's really, it's glaring right into my eyes. And so I've got a spare keyboard that I can use here. I'll drag the spare keyboard over so I won't have to look at the uh, glare off the laptop. Okay, that's much better. Okay, very unusual situation here. So, but let's uh, now uh, I can see again without having to look through this glare, and, and peel the scales off your eyes. <laughs> okay. The Christian ethic provided a guiding light and standard to running government, resolving legal and international disputes, improving social structures, quality individual and family life, intellectual pursuit and development towards self-perfection, economics, the arts, visual, written music and plastic, the sciences, technology and industry, see the contribution and legacy begun by St. Ambrose and St. Augustine, not to mention all the early scientists, even the archaeologists were Christians who believed that Yahweh had designed the world. They were just trying to figure out how. But of course, in the eight, well, not the 18th century so much, but the 19th century, with Darwin et al., they tried to argue that uh, there is no God, there is no consciousness beyond you know, what exists in your brain, etc., etc. These are the types of arguments that came about in the mid-19th century 
and they had a, a certain amount of weight because the fact is that Judeo-Christianity really didn't know its stuff, scripturally. And the Judeo-Christians could not really argue back with science. They really couldn't. So science took a very materialistic turn, which it never had done before, and created a lot of atheists and materialists, power mongers, etc. You, you name it. This materialistic mindset created a lot of evil on this planet, and they are now ruling the world. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so let's continue. Uh, 5th century ADFF, after the fall of the Western Roman Empire and the reemergence of Augustinian Christianity during the Renaissance. Well, I'm not sure Augustinian Christianity means that much. I, I think more the, <laughs> the the Reformation means a whole lot more. So this guy must be a Catholic, could be a Catholic. Today, research, Christian and secular, into the periods of 5th century through the 16th centuries A.D., has uncovered vast amounts of documentary evidence that has never been touched by historians. In spite of this evidence, neglect, the neglect of this evidence, the evidence now shows how these periods of history had been distorted by antagonists and fractionalists between the 17th century through modern times. Tens of thousands of pieces of historical evidence, documentation, legal transcripts had been available and had never been opened until today, yet all types of interpretations and characterizations were made about events, personalities, practices that were supposed to have occurred during these times. That's the total distortion of history, and the fact is, the same has applied to archaeology and Bible, Bible research. It's only in very recent times, namely the 1990s, with computerized and uh, astro, astro archaeology, that the Bible has been totally verified 100% as a true history book, and that every archaeological discovery in the last 30, 40, 50 years has verified the Bible and not the secular worldview. So let's continue. Oh, he also talks about the role of masonry. I think he's talking about Freemasonry, the Reformation, and many other areas. Needless to say, denominationalism, pluralism, sectarianism, politics, and materialism had thrived and multiplied under these distorted conditions to this day, with little or no remedy in sight. This work, 21st century Christianity, is designed to allow the reader to rediscover some key issues that had affected or impacted Christianity during the past 300 years. Well, that's a very ambitious project. That's kind of what we've been doing here at Eurofolk Radio. May the reader understand what forces have distorted Christianity's true mission to represent and lead the world towards the kingdom of God instead of to the existing kingdom of Babylon, the 21st century Christianity document should be viewed as a brief manual or reference material that allows those who wish to rediscover true Christianity to quickly address key issues and points of a debate and also conduct dialogues with the potential true Christians, which are hard to find. However, however, there is happening right now a resurgence of racial Christianity. Christian identity is making inroads, especially on the internet, 
and w- with with public appearances of identity scholars and of course you know radio shows and people commenting uh, against materialistic articles on secular websites christian identities are going on these websites and saying you guys are all wrong you don't know what you're talking about christian identity it blows you secularists away okay common fair on uh, you know m- many many websites that allow comments okay so table of contents okay this was composed november 23 2004 let me scroll back up and see uh, let me go back to the about page and see if there is an author here oh okay they actually they actually uh, quote my work here at the beginning so I better know how to get back <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway at the about page it says this site is dedicated to the tenets of Christian identity and for the study of our Father's Word. It is a place for the regathering of lost sheep of the houses of Israel and Judah, known as the Israelites. Overview of basic beliefs. We believe the Israelites are the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Germanic, Nordic, and kindred peoples of the world and are the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as evidenced by Intra-Alia, the Behistun rock, and the Assyrian tablets, as the physical descendants of Abraham, Israelites are the recipients of the Abrahamic covenant and covenant blessings promised to Abraham's seed via his wife Sarah, Genesis 17. Proof in the word that Christian Caucasian people are the Israelites is found in Revelation 12:17, where it states, quote, The remnant of the woman's seed, Israel, are those that keep the commandments and the testimony of Jesus Christ. While some Jews may keep the commandments, actually none of them do, (laughs) most do not keep the testimony of Jesus Christ, and therefore cannot be the Israelites. Only the Israelites keep both, for they are those of Christ, uh, the whom spoke of when he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, John 10.27. And they have a link to my article, The Merchants of Babylon, at my now, uh, you know, obsolete website kill the bank okay i just didn't have time to keep that website up so anyway that's very good that's very good so this is indeed a christian identity website so let's continue but no author given that i could see so uh, so here are the table of contents uh forward introduction Causes that lead towards a Judeo-Christian shift. Reductionist relativists to Judeo-Christians and identity Christians. Terminology. People. Hebrews. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, and Kazaria. Origins of the modern Jewish people. The term Yehud or Hebrew Jew in the Old Testament. False translation, of course. He puts it in quotation marks. The term Judeos, which is Greek, translated also as Jew, in quotation marks in the New Testament. Uh, number four, okay, point one point four, the House of Israel in the New Testament. 
had to go through words like Hebrew and Gentile, geometric natural law, etc. These are the headings of the various chapters. There's quite a lot of them, so I'm not going to go through all of them. Let's get to uh, let's get to some of the arguments here. So here we go. And since this is a website, there's no pagination. And the narrative continues. In a pluralistic environment, distinctions between the traditional Christians, Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant, are diminished. Partly due to the changing social conditions, political events, technology, legislation, for example, IRS 501c3, prayer in schools, gay rights, Christian churches participate in or engage secular-sponsored programs, such as pro-life-slash-pro-choice, education, private schools, universities, homeschooling, missions, medical, hospitals, clinics, care for the seniors, the unemployed, international programs, and ecumenical dialogue. At the same time, these Christian churches compromise or negotiate their way on such issues. Uh, I think they mean negotiate away (laughs) Christianity on such issues as, as the origin of salvation. Is it through Christ and church or assembly only or through other sources also and theistic evolution long ages local floods origin of man so it looks like he's trying to cover just about every possible angle that you can view scripture from and you know that's ambitious let's see how well the author does here but i can tell you that the vast majority of catholics and Protestants, and other versions of Christianity that try to influence the world with their, relativistic is a good word, with their non-scriptural or pseudo-scriptural approach. A good example is Catholics and, and other Christians who get involved in all kinds of secular charities. Donate money to these secular charities thinking they're doing good, when in fact most of these charities are nothing but scams run by Jews, okay, etc., etc. The, the naivete of the average modern Christian is just stunning, absolutely stunning, even worse than Eve's naivete (laughs) okay even worse so that they believe every lie coming down the pike told by a person in a white coat smock or in a black frock (laughs) such as a friar or somebody preaching in a crystal a crystal cathedral, etc., etc. I mean, there's so many phonies out there. It's hard to find the real deal in any profession. That's how seriously corrupted the entire planet is. So, causes. Okay, then he talks about today's Christian identity. 
Today's Christian identity general beliefs are drawn from historical records, documents, legal agreements, heraldry, genealogies, archaeology, anthropology, ethnology, linguistics, and reliable traditions, which help trace and link the identity of the Celtic, Gaul, British, Germanic, Scandinavian, kindred people, to the original Hebrew, and specifically to the dispersed biblical tribes of the houses of Israel, Judah, and David. It is therefore not the contemporary Jewish people who are the chosen people in the Old and New Testament, but it is the Christian lost tribes of Israel, those of Caucasian European descent. These are the covenant people who laid the Christian foundations in all of Europe and spread Christianity throughout the world. We now easily see that the Old Testament characters, cultures, traditions, practices, and history are not Jewish at all, but truly Hebrew, through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to their mostly Caucasian European Christian descendants. Yeah, well, their descendants are, in fact, all Caucasian. Although, you know, there has been a lot of mixing going on. Nevertheless, only the, the direct racial, pure racial descendants can be considered the covenant people. Heading number two, causes that lead to the Judeo-Christian shift. What caused the shift in the view of the identity of biblical characters and civilizations, as reflected in the beliefs of the Judeo-Christians? If we examine the New Testament letters, epistles of the early church, we find that there has been a subtle and persistent infiltration of the early Christian church. We will examine this later. And has it been even a greater infiltration of the church in these latter days? In relatively more recent times, we find that Christendom and the identity's Christian view had been impacted as early as the classical period, 13th century, replacing the Celtic view, and even more recently by political events that began to occur during the past two or three centuries in Europe and in America. For example, during the 19th century in Europe. Well, I would say at this point, he talks about the Celtic view, because the very first above-ground church ever built was in England at Glastonbury, and that was done by the Celtic church, namely those Celtic Christians, Israelites, who migrated from the Middle East, from Palestine, either by ship or overland. And this formed the majority of the Celtic churches in Ireland, Scotland, England, uh, Normandy, Spain, etc., and Gaul. So these were Celtic Christians descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is before the Catholic Church took over by force and by hook or crook, by deceit, by force and by deceit. So let's continue. European countries, empires, cultures, and populations changed. A. Geographically, the redesign of national boundaries. B. Technologically, industrial revolution, transportation, communication. C. Socially and ideologically, masonry, socialism, revolutions. D. Institutionally, populism, democratization, economic authoritarianism, cultism. Oh yeah, the economic authoritarianism is by far the strongest, namely banking, international banking. Cultism, legal relativism, that's uh, this replacing 
common law with all kinds of other gibberish law. And E, financially, that is, okay, international banking, he mentions it here. As an example of the impact of financial institutions in Europe, the power of the Rothschild banking family and that of Freemasonry extended banking influence across the European financial network, open social and political opportunities to the East European Ashkenazi, that is, Talmudic people in Western Europe, they're originally Eastern Europe. For example, the Dreyfus military legal case in France had launched a socialist revolutionary intellectual outreach, one of which became known as the Masonic Zionist Movement. In England, Disraeli became Prime Minister and the British monarchy adjusted its British-Israelite position to accommodate the new Khazar Ashkenazi Talmudic people as if they were descendants of the Old Testament House of Judah into a reconstituted British Israel. And that is correct. British Israel teaches that the Jews are Judah. This banking influence specifically targeted the authority of the European Christian Church on several fronts. One, the reliability of the biblical scriptures was put to the test by a newly emerging higher criticism whose proponents used the philosophy-based linguistics that conformed to reductionist relativist rules. See explanation below. These critics discounted the scriptures and its foundations by focusing on certain portions of the scriptures through tendentious textual analysis, distorted anthropological sociological interpretations, and promoted tendentious systematics. This would have gone much further into the destruction of all evidence had there not emerged an enormous amount of new documentary discoveries of older and original scriptural texts, the Qumran cave documents, Archaeological, archaeological evidence, namely Assyrian and Mesopotamian Egyptian libraries of documentation, which helped disprove these linguist philosophical contentions, assumptions, and methods. Yet, in spite of this new factual evidence, the now outdated higher critics' views are still being promoted and taught in their variations as scientific fact at today's most prestigious institutes of higher education, and specifically at most theological institutions, okay? You're talking, these are mainly Jews inventing ways to discredit the Bible. Now, why would Jews be be discrediting the Bible if they are, in fact, Israelites and want to promote the Bible? Well, the only way in which the Jews promote the Bible is to call themselves Israel, (laughs) to pretend to be the chosen people. Other than that, the Jews don't promote the Bible. And that isn't even promoting the Bible, that's promoting themselves. Two, the higher critic's method derives from the notion that all reality is the realm of imagination, which is controlled by words, which are managed within the realm of the myths. In other words, man's minds, individuals, groups, society, and civilization are subject to the economy of mythology. And whoever creates, designs, and enforces this, the myth mythological realm and concept inevitably rules whoever adheres to the myths. Well, yeah, we're being ruled by medical myths, aren't we? We're being ruled by economic myths, that namely inflation is caused by higher prices, right? Talk about a tautology of thinking, right? And that all of these experts know what they're doing. Well, they do know what they're doing. 
because they're destroying us, deliberately destroying us. They're not making the world a better place. They're deliberately destroying the world because they need to destroy us. Anyway, this mythological realm may include everything between divinities and existentialism to empiricism, materialism, and nihilism. There's a lot of nihilism going on. Nihilism meaning that there you have no faith in anything and just are a worthless individual. In fact, you engage in destruction rather than construction. This philosophy reduces all reality to concepts within a framework, which is then rationalized in relative rules-based environment, thus reductionism, extreme rationalism, and relativism, which are deduced from the algebraic Aristotelian model of thinking. This then allows for relative redefinition of all reality. For example, the myth that man is a demigod or emerged from humanoids. Society defined in terms of economic units of consumer labor collectives. Politics as a democratized economic serfdom. Usury, proletariat. The culture as an anthropological catalog of conditioned habit patterns. Yeah, brainwashing. Removed from this question are the discoverable geometrical natural laws that lead to and identify A, a man's divine spark, and who is created in the image of God, B, republican representational government that leads to endless self-improvement and perfection, and C, the understanding of the kingdom of God. See also the effects of Augustinian City of God initiatives that contributed to the establishment of civilization along Christian patterns, and priorities after the fall of the Roman civilization in Western Europe. So this guy is definitely a Catholic because I don't see any positive Christianity coming from the Catholic Church. It's deception in the extreme and annihilation of all other forms of Christianity that might compete with the Catholic Church. So I don't see Catholic philosophy in any way being a positive uh, development in history, uh, none whatsoever. It's always been very self-serving for the Catholic Church, and if if you don't play the game their way, they simply destroy you. That whole period of martyrdom, individuals, uh, they wiped out various cultures that had a different form, namely a Celtic form of Christianity, right? Uh, Simply annihilated them. And then the Catholic Church went to the Americas and annihilated the, the native people. You could definitely blame the Catholic Church for all of that. So I don't really see any positives coming from the Catholic Church at all. It's just another form of Judaism, and the Catholic priest is a ritualistic Pharisee. That's essentially what a Catholic priest is. Okay. He continues. A pantheistic concept that nature has built in divine qualities for self-recreation, self-reengineering, specifically time, chance, and interplay between open and closed systems. The ancients saw this time plus chance formula as being the interplay of God, the god Kronos, and the goddess Fortuna. That was a soccer team I played on, Fortuna. <laughs> this removes any notion of the super or extra-natural divine creative power, 
such as a supernatural god. If a supracreative entity should be conceived, for example, as theistic evolutionists do, then such an entity would only appear as a variant of the Aristotelian first cause, which is an algebraic, pantheistic, and cultist concept. Well, that also describes deism. Deism is the belief that there was an intelligent creator God who created everything, but then after creating it, stood back and just watched it fall into chaos, right? Like the, uh, the bunny, you know, the battery bunny. You wind a battery bunny up and watch it run until the batteries run out. Why wouldn't the batteries run out? Why wouldn't the Big Bang come to a slow end, right? There's nothing about the Big Bang that suggests that it, and that it won't, right? I don't believe in the Big Bang anyway. So I, I believe that the universe emanates from the mind of Yahweh. And so does Paul. He says, we live and breathe and exist in him. That historical records must demonstrate simplicity gradually moving to complexity. For example, hydrogen moving towards uranium, chemicals towards proteins, and single cellular life and aquatic life towards reptilian and mammalian variations, and from subhuman primates to human. Okay, so that's the basic idea of evolution, but of course we know that every single animal, all the way down to the lowest microbe, have their own DNA, replicate their own DNA, and there is no such thing as positive mutation. Mutations only result in disease and death. No evidence of any positive mutation has ever been demonstrated by any scientist. Let's continue. That both macrobiology, re-engineered change at the species level, and microbiology are demonstrable in the laboratory, well, you, you can interfere with both and claim that, well, this is, must be how evolution happened, but you're interfering. It's not happening by chance. And yet it is only microbiology adaptive change that is evidenced and measured in the laboratory environment and in the fossil record, okay? But still, there is no record of evolution. Exclusively limits the scientific method to the laboratory method, empirical science to fit within the materialistic worldview philosophy, and A, redefines the hypothesis in uniformitarian philosophical terms. In other words, uh, uniformitarianism means that uh, the method that we're using has worked so far, so it must always work, right? <laughs> and B, well, remember, they believed that about Newtonian physics, right? Namely, what you see is what you get. That's the Newtonian model. But quantum mechanics has destroyed all of that because the subatomic world does not adhere to what you see is what you get. Invisible things happen that cannot be observed by any scientist or by any instrument. And actions can propagate at a distance, miles and miles apart, with no time intervening. That's quantum mechanics. 
And what that suggests is that there is another medium behind all the media that scientists can measure. But what's behind all that is a a spiritual dimension from which the material world emanates. That's the new paradigm. That's the direction that quantum mechanics is going into. But the old school physicists don't want to go there because that destroys their materialistic ambitions. And I mean that both intellectually and financially, right? Okay. That the uniformitarian approach cannot be made fallible, I think that's he's stating this as an assumption of the materialist, i.e. It can, it can incorporate contradictions, it cannot be tested for failure, thus becoming unscientific. Yeah, well, it is unscientific. Most of these so-called particles that they've discovered, like quarks and gluons and muons and all that kind of stuff, they've never actually observed any of these things. That is simply deductions they make from the various experiments that they do. Okay. Nevertheless, quantum mechanics has created much of the solid-state world that we live in, computers and, uh, you know, Tesla technology, although Tesla invented it before, before the uh, term quantum mechanics was invented. Nevertheless, the Newtonian physical, you know, uh, cause, observable causes and ex- observable effects, that model is utterly destroyed by quantum physics. Totally destroyed. And they, it's beyond explanation. What quantum mechanics is good at, the scientists are, is in taking the approximations they have observed and turning those into experiments and producing electromagnetic uh, gizmos, such as a computer, that work, (laughs) or or a cathode ray tube, which really works, right? So quantum mechanics, even though it is not a cause-effect model, nevertheless, it still works because you can close enough with your approximations, with your uh, set theory, and with your statistics, your statistical analysis, that your statistics can get you so close to the truth that you actually, you know, it's almost as good as the absolute truth. But uh, quantum mechanics proves that you can't get to the absolute truth. You can only approach it. Anyway, Kant, uh, this uh, this also, the, I'm going to call it materialism, the materialistic interpretation, contrasts, segregates, and predefines all that does and does not comply with the new terms and conditions. Yeah, well, that's a good point because in quantum mechanics, you simply define what you're looking for until you get really close to what you're looking for, and then you say, well, this is what we're looking for, okay? Although it never really fills the bill, it gets you really close, and once you're really close, you can still manipulate matter with quantum mechanics, but you cannot discover the laws of nature thereby. You can't discover, it's like riding a bicycle, you simply... Test test your procedure, keep on experimenting until you are able to ride the bi- ride the bicycle. 
But that's as close, that's not the same as knowing what a bicycle is made out of, you know. What, what are atoms? What are chemicals? What is mass? Organized science still hasn't defined the concept of mass. There's, you know, we all have this idea there's mass versus energy. But nobody has been able to define mass. They could define energy because they simply define energy as waves. Waves that uh, transmit heat, light, magnetism, whatever form of energy you want to call it. And these waves transmit that stuff. But when do these waves become mass? No scientist has ever defined how mass comes into being. Yet here we are, you know, knock on this table, <laughs> right? It's hard. It's not empty space. Whereas waves can propagate through empty space, or so they say. Because I believe in the ether, that space is not empty. It is filled with a very invisible and very, uh, how shall I call it, stretched out substance, like rakia in the Bible, that is still a substance, but it doesn't have any particles. It's a uniform substance from which particles emanate. Anyway, that's getting into uh, you know, uh, philosophy and metaphysics, which is, by the way, that's a white thing. <laughs> metaphysics is a white thing. No other race has ever even dared imagine what we in the white race imagine about the way the universe comes into, into being. They don't even care about stuff like that. They don't have the curiosity to investigate it like we do. They copy us because they want to be prosperous and wealthy and have power over others. But that's not why they do science. The reason they do science is for power and money. Whereas most white people get into science because they just their natural curiosity. They want to know how the world works. And when they figure it out, they create inventions, right? Such as an airplane, or a car, or the atomic bomb. Oh no, that was a Jew who invented that. Einstein and his fellow Jews in the Manhattan Project. I don't know why they call it the Manhattan Project, because it was done, it was done at the University of Chicago. <laughs> okay. So anyway, just a, just an interesting contradiction there. Okay. C. Justify, interpret, and view any mass movement and political policy, democratic, authoritarian, genocidal, in terms of the logic, will, and power of evolutionary forces. In other words, chance. Since they deny that there is a conscious element or will, a divine will behind all of these developments, they deny that. And of course, we're talking about Marxists, uh, socialists, nihilists, all those people on the left. They all, and then there's a lot of people on the right who are materialists as well. So, all of these people deny the divine impulse behind creation. So, they still haven't figured out what causes mass that somehow wave 
waves turn into mass and stay put where they're at. <laughs> they, they know it has something to do with spin, like a gyroscope. You, know, you get a gyroscope spinning, and it can be, uh, you know, let's say a 10-ounce gyroscope. But once that gyroscope is spinning, it's heavier, it's harder to move. That means it's fixed to an important space where it's spinning. So there is something there, a spin, but what causes this spin? They don't know. They simply don't know. And so all of this fancy language they use, quarks, spin, changeness, charm, all strangeness rather, charm, etc. That's all just garbage talk designed to impress you. Like the country western song says, that don't impress me much. And it never will because I know that it's just propaganda designed to influence you into following their authority. It's all authoritarianism. Okay, so let's continue. They use this philosophy to justify, interpret, and view any mass movement and political policy. Just read that one. D, inevitably, the Christian mission, history, and origins are one pluralized. Which by which he, I think he means that they have many takes many forms, aligned with pantheistic premises, thus being reduced to denominational cult status through the application of algebraic Aristotelian rules. For example, separation of church and state. Well, it is be, uh, what what he's saying here is simply that the churches will allow just about any philosophy to be taught from the pulpit in addition to Scripture or to the exclusion of Scripture. Positioned within redefined and rewritten historical, racial origins and missions, for example, who are and where are the true Israel people, redefined linguistics erases and renames genealogies and architectural records, yeah, by changing the meanings of words, you can change history placed under specific supervisory authority for legal mediation and orientation, again, 501c3, or church rules, <laughs> all right, within the denomination, if you don't believe the way we believe, you're out. You can still send us a donation, though. Thus transforming Christianity into Judeo-Christianity. Yeah, all of the, all of the above. Six, to ensure and guarantee the permanent establishment of this philosophical alignment and implementation of the reductionist relativistic authority, policies and procedures, the designers, high priests, and financiers initiated during the 20th century global policies that would effectively remove Christian authority from the political and social scene. Okay, well, it actually goes back further because it goes back to the day when the Rothschilds were financing all sides of the Napoleonic Wars. And they saw an opportunity to manipulate nations through money, money creation and war creation. And, that, and also revolution creation. That has been their modus operandi since 1815. And it's such a big idea, big concept such a global concept that the average mortal 
meaning Christians, liberals, socialists, all of them alike, even the, the, the right-wingers, the libertarians who think they're so smart, they haven't figured this out either. But it's right there in Scripture, Mystery Babylon. <laughs> That's what it is. It's Mystery Babylon. Yeah, so this, all of this materialism has seduced true Christianity and created Judeo-Christianity. So he mentions here two world wars with over 300 million deaths in Europe within the first 50 years of the 20th century. Minor wars that destabilized whole regions, and they're still happening. Social revolutions, Bolshevik, fascist, Nazi, and Fabian. Of course, this was written in 2004, and so they're, uh, they've already begun World War III on several fronts, namely the jab, kill us that way, commit suicide by accepting the jab, not by force, but by persuasion, by the persuasion of lies, deception, and an actual warfare, which started in Ukraine, and the blowing up of the Nordic Stream pipeline, (laughs) creating shortages of fuel and energy, so the great starvation is this the current phase. The destruction of power plants all over the world for more starvation and lack of energy. Folks, they're leading us into a nuclear winter because they won't provide us with nuclear power or coal-fired power plants. They've been insisting that... Uh, solar and wind power can do the job. It didn't do the job in Texas two years ago, did it? And it never will do the job. And, of course, they've been promoting the lie that petroleum is a non-renewable resource when it is renewable. And there's no shortage, never will be, because it's spontaneously correct uh, converted from whatever genetic, uh, it's not genetic, well, genetic material too, but uh, plant and animal material under the ground under intense pressure turns all that uh, sludge into petroleum. And then what's, you know, with methane as a major ingredient, and then you have, you know, when you refine that, you get gasoline. So that's a constant process. That never stops happening, Okay. So next, social revolutions. Next, economic collapses. Next, moral license leading to divorce, indiscriminate promiscuity, gay rights, epidemics, cultural debasement. Yep, we've got all that going on right now, as the Bible definitely predicts. Polarization and reprioritization of all segments of society. Redefining populist feminism homosexuality, etc., etc. You know, blacks uh, now are being favored by society as opposed to whites. Not that whites were ever favored by society. Whites simply had dominion because Yahweh said that we will have dominion. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But it also predicted that Esau would have dominion over Jacob in the last days. That's the little season talked about in the book of Revelation. 
So everything that uh, this author is describing has actually been predicted by the Bible. And those, oh, it seems like only those of us in Christian identity have any understanding of these things. So, and then polarization and re, uh, let's see, oh, I think I said that already. This fragmented and neutralized Christendom and authority within societies and as a political force around the world and opened the doors towards a neo-pagan and feudal Babylonian authority to ride the wave to destruction. That's the, uh, the great whore that rides on the eight beasts of the book of Revelation. The American shores have not escaped the torrents of social re-engineering that were launched in Europe. But the American shores had maintained a a conservation barrier reef. Europe took the direct brunt of the philosophical reductionist relativism effort, while America underwent a protracted effort as this re-engineering slowly seeped through its Christian religious, educational, and government institutions over a period of 100 years. Well, it actually started right after the Revolutionary War with the institution of the first First Bank of the United States and then when that charter was up and America did not want to recharter it then uh, the Rothschilds sent British troops to make another war against America and that resulted in the Second Bank of the United States right? and then Andrew Jackson refused to charter the Second Bank and another the Civil War ensued right? so again and again and again the banksters and the Satanists never give up, which leads us to believe that there will the only way this problem is going to be resolved is by violence. And since we are in a position where we can't, and we don't have control of the media, so we can't hide our sins, and the media is constantly staging terrorist attacks and blaming them on us, we're at a ter- tremendous disadvantage, both psychologically, materially, and even spiritually, because the vast majority of our people simply do not understand how this game is being played and how they are playing us like a b- bad violin. <laughs> you know, a, a lousy song on a bla- bad violin. That's what's happening to our race. And, and some white nationalists understand this, but they're still befuddled by the Jews, don't understand the Bible because they believe the Jews are Israel. So this mindset has to be overcome. But I really think that we are at the point where Ezekiel 37 will come into play. So let me open my Esword. To Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones. Because I think that's where we're at right now. The Great Awakening, I strongly believe, is underway because it's becoming fashionable to criticize the Jews. The Jews, even though they control every element of society, when they get criticism from many sides, they become unnerved and they react like a teenage kid or like a little kid and can't handle 
the, neg- the negative. Yeah, it's a, so we need some. <laughs> drop a bomb on a nuclear power plant, and what do you get? A bomb that won't quit. Hey, let's. Yeah, that's they were actually afraid of that. Seven, when uh, there were some scientists who thought that if you start a chain reaction, that it would never end and it would actually blow up the entire planet. And but they had it calculated, <laughs> right? <laughs> Einstein and the rest of those Jews and, and a few Goy scientists took a chance. Well, if they have to destroy the planet to get rid of us, they will. Right? That's how the Nephilim think. That's how the fallen ones think. And Swamp Fox says, that's, now that's some real gallows humor, right? <laughs> but would even destroy the gallows. Okay? Yeah, so you go walk up to the gallows and they tie the rope around your neck and uh, the door, the trap door opens, and the whole thing collapses, and you survive, right? Now, that's the positive end to the story. That's actually a good science fiction premise there. But let's continue. During the first half of the 19th century, Christianity's mission in America had expressed itself through the unoptimistic social and political agenda abolition of slavery, care of the sick and orphaned, education, temperance, opposition to alcohol abuse, and, of course, who was it? The the French historian who traveled through America and said, America is great because America is good. When America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. And, boy, that's a mouthful, and that was very prophetic because America is no longer good. And we are collapsing into a state of moral degeneration unlike anything that has ever been witnessed, except perhaps in the Roman Empire. That was really a moral debacle. And the Weimar Republic in Germany. The extent to which Germany... Well, that but that was only Berlin. The rest of Germany didn't get debauched that badly. But now we're seeing the entire planet being debauched by the perfidious Jew, and they're getting away with it. Why? Because they have infiltrated the Judeo-Christian churches, and these churches are playing along. They're playing along, or they're bribed, or they, they, most of these pulpit bastards know that they're lying to the people, but their pensions are at risk, and their uh, their position in society, which is relatively high, like John Hagee, right? He's propped up by the Jews to be some kind of spiritual teacher and moral guide, really? Well, that's what happens when you sell your soul to the devil. Is it possible that 99% of the world has sold its soul to the devil? Yes, it is. Or they're about to, if they have it already. But, getting back to Ezekiel 37, verse 1, The hand of Yahweh was upon me, and carried me out in the spirit of Yahweh, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. 
Yeah, so let's say you're out in the Mojave Desert or Death Valley, and all of a sudden you come across a field of bones just lying around in the desert. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of Adam, can these bones live? Can these Judeo-Christians come back to life? Can these Celtic Israelites come back to life? Can these atheists, agnostics, and pagans come back to life? It would take a mass movement. But even if it doesn't become a mass movement, the fact that the remnant are so steadfast and immovable in our faith means that nothing is going to stop us from making these dry bones come back to life. That's what we're here for. That's what we live for. And that's what we want to see. Because anybody who, any one of these bone people that come back to life will be on our side and will fight against the enemy. Because, as Obadiah says, Israel shall be a flame, Joseph, or just, Joseph shall be a flame, Judah shall be a fire, and the Edomites shall be stubble. I want to see that stubble. In fact, I want to burn the stubble too. Let's continue. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus saith Yahweh Elohim unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am Yahweh. Verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, Prophesy, son of Adam, and say unto the wind, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. It says slain, right? The bodies of the slain martyrs coming back to life. The bodies of the dead in the spirit walking around like zombies coming back to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of Adam, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, 
Our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith Yahweh Elohim, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Not that stinking little desert in the Middle East. And ye shall know that I am Yahweh when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Now you can take this both literally and figuratively. And shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land, America. Then ye shall know that I, Yahweh, have spoken it and performed it, saith Yahweh. Okay, so we're waiting for these dry bones to be revived. We need another revival. In fact, there was a revival. The nation of America was begun by a great revival, preaching repentance. George Whitehead came over from Britain and began preaching. He began a career as an itinerant preacher, preaching repentance, fire and brimstone preaching. And others came, and we had homegrown preachers doing the same thing. Before the American Revolution, it was this spirit that caused America to fight against the beast, the Jews that controlled the Bank of England and the British Empire in those days. We're going to need another revival like that, folks. We're going to need another revival just like that. And I do believe that this revival is coming to pass. Let's continue. The religious denominations, masonry and reductionists, who have been developing during the 18th and 1900s, bore fruit in the 20th century. Among the Protestants, interpreters and schismatics of the 19th century, such as Edward Irving, Scotland, and John N. Darby, influenced various small Protestant denominations in the USA, including Dwight L. Moody. Yeah, Moody and the Moody Bible Institute here in Chicago. The dispensational theory was launched and promoted under the authority of C.I. Schofield. The Dallas Theological Seminary, the Moody Bible Institute, Chicago, and the Pentecostals Charismatics promoted dispensationalism. The rapture and an apocalyptic experience so well popularized by such names as Hal Lindsey, Timothy LaHaye, and Jenkins. In In this triple scenario, the key protagonists become the state of Israel and the anticipated Jewish converts to Christianity. (laughs) You expect the impossible. Because that ain't going to happen. The prime antagonists had traditionally been the Roman Catholic Church and the so-called anti-Semitic movements. At the same time, the Protestant believers have been violently myopic, (laughs) right? Myopic unto death in identifying the true Antichrist activists, the Freemasonry, Talmudists, Babylonians, usury-based banking families, Islam, and international socialism. These same views had also been the backbone in their initiatives and outreach programs such as Campus for Christ, the Moral Majority, Missions to the World, Prayer in Schools, Ten Commandments in the Courthouse Rotundas, Pro-Life, 
Save the Gay, Gay in the Pulpit, Women Ordination, and Other Issues and Programs. Some groups have promoted the Creation Science Initiative, successfully challenging evolutionists in public debates, and scientific research publications. However, large denominations have also succumbed to the theistic evolution formula, and, of course, Talmudism and Zionism. Okay? Uh, and there's no doubt that Zionism has won over a great portion of Christians, especially the Southern Baptists. That's a huge denomination, and several others. You go down south and you see the Israeli flag everywhere. So these people are totally lost. I wonder if their dead bones will come back to life. The Catholic Church also underwent turmoil during the 20th century and finally succumbed to the Judeo-Christian option also. That's correct. It negotiated its way through the reductionist cultural re-engineering that began in the 17th century, higher critics, masonry, Zionism, two world wars, socialist, nationalist, Fabian revolutions, and ethnic wars, for example, Ireland, Yugoslavia, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, influence who applied the classical Darwinism evolutionary theory to distort Catholic Christian theology. Vatican II reforms, machinations and distortions, clerical, social gospel, activism, you know, that's all Catholic. Some had openly worked with communist guerrillas in Latin America and Africa. B, siding with Latin American militarist authorities in an effort to curtail Marxist inroads. So in other words, they, they supported both fell in with both, you know, different groups. The different groups of Catholic would fall in with either side. C, ultra-liberalism, Freemasonry. D, introduction, and then programs against a wave of social policies, modernization, the Mass, and the Eucharist. In other words, the Catholic Church has gone through its entire, uh, you know, total anti-Catholic, within the Catholic Church, revolution. In the meantime... The Orthodox Church abroad in the USA, Europe, and around the world also have their own ethnic and fractional divisions. Is he talking about the Orthodox Church in the East? Byzantium? Or is he talking about Orthodoxy in the West? It looks like he's just talking about them in the West. A condition that had a double-edged sword. It allowed the members to congregate and survive under the harshest conditions and influences, but at the same time, it limited the church's expansion. Now that many of their descendants do not speak the original ethnic language, these churches adapt their liturgies and missions to other languages and nationalities, thus, of course, destroying the Anglo-Saxon Celtic character that even Catholicism once had. At the same time, many Protestants and Catholics have converted to Orthodoxy, but also brought in their Protestant Catholic views, biases, and interpretations, thus diluting some of the original faith. I guess he is talking about the Eastern Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church has also been placed on notice and is gradually acquiring the Judeo-Christian character, adopting theistic evolutionary interpretations and attempt to negotiate through ecumenicalism. Yes, ecumenism is one of the main satanic forces in the world today. And uh, we, we did a brief talk about Chrislam, how the current Pope is trying to 
create an ecumenical movement between Islam and the Catholic Church called Chrislam. As if there could any be such, you know, it's just the same nonsense as Judeo Christianity. There can be no such thing, right? So, but that's what the Pope's job is, to pretend that there is. It is evident that the ever-multiplying Judeo-Christian denominations, many of which are financed by the Eastern Establishment, which is the banksters, do not represent a single orientation, but represent a full spectrum of the social and political orientation. Yeah, Talmudism. These Judeo-Christian denominations include conservative, fundamentalist, liberal, conservative, moderate, theistic, evolutionists, higher criticism, and textual... It's, it's amazing how many different varieties of Christianity there are today. And then he concludes with Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> At the same time, differences exist among what may be considered the Christian identity members, for example. Members of the Christian British Israel movement distinguish themselves from the mainstream Christian identity members by limiting Israel's roots to tracing the Old Testament Davidic throne to today's British monarchy, and by linking the European Ashkenazi Talmudic people with the view with the Old and New Testament tribe of Judah. This group has members in all areas of the former British Commonwealth. On the other hand, the Christian identity group of the United States of America have a wider view by tracing all tribes of Israel and Judah, the houses of Israel, Ephraim, USA, Manasseh, Britain, Scandinavia, Franks, Gauls, and the Germans, Ireland and Scotland, and the kindred people. The Christian identity group clearly distinguished themselves from the contemporary Jewish Talmudic people whose authorities recognize their Khazar Ashkenazi roots. Yeah, the Jews know who they are, but they pretend to be us, and who have no linkage to the original Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob covenant. Absolutely. The identity Christian movement began to emerge as a distinct group because the mainstream churches succumbed to the Judeo-Christian option. Well said. Well said. And that option is becoming uh, nauseating <laughs> to many people because many Christians see that that's going nowhere. They see that that is going nowhere, has gone nowhere, and the churches are emptying out. But many of these that are leaving, especially young people, have become nihilists or atheists and agnostics and see no future. This is where Christian identity has to stand tall and be the future. However, we find that there are groups that capitalize on the British, Israel-specific and distinct beliefs and the Masonic views. For example, the Judeo-Christian Messianic Jews for Christ, who won, or A, as their original Zionist brethren, continue to promote the belief that they are the chosen people, namely Jewish, mentioned in the Bible, B, recognize the Jewish Jesus Christ as the true Messiah, C, promote the British Israel view that they are the house of Judah, that is, the Jews are the house of Judah, D, position themselves as biblical authorities, interpreters, mediators, and mentors of true biblical scriptures, and represent the true outcome of Judeo-Christianity. So, yes, and that is absolutely correct. The British Israel movement promotes that. The hierarchy of the British Israel movement, centered in London and financed by the Rothschilds. They have their various offshoots in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, 
etc. Okay? But these people understand that the Anglo-Saxons are descended from the tribes of Israel. They just falsely claim that the Jews are Judah. And this is where the American version Christian identity is far superior because we know what the Jews know and that is that they are not Israel. <laughs> okay? There's no way they can be Israel. Among the Amer- early Americans, and specifically among the American founding fathers, we find many who had believed in the European Christian identity messages, message. Their application of geometric natural law, a geometry that is evident throughout the Christian Bible, and who had also been Masons, for example, Society of Cincinnatus, this can be found among their writings, laws, publications, and symbols they used. However, today we have identity mainstream Masons who examine some canonical and non-canonical Christian scriptures and literature and identify issues such as the followers of William Branham, who identify a serpent seed, Kenites, descended from Cain, identify Satan and his cohorts, speculate about a local flood, the gap theory, long ages between Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and while others attempt to revise the New Testament by trying to prove that Paul's epistles should not be in the New Testament. And of course, that's been a major focus here at Eurofolk Radio, explaining that Paul was not a Jew or a universalist, that it's the bad translations of the Old and New Testaments that caused this false view to come about. Below in this study, I will focus on the, only on the evidence brought by the Christian identity documentation, since it is the one that is consistent with scholarly evidence. I will reserve separate studies on other movements. So, this is section three. Differences, reductionist, relativists, Judeo-Christians, and the identity Christians. So, okay, so the reductionist relativists could probably be branched into everything that isn't Judeo-Christian or identity Christianity. So, but nevertheless, I would say that there's only two. There's Judeo-Christianity and there's Christian identity. And that's it. Judeo-Christianity covers the full spectrum of all apostasy. Okay, or let's call it apostianity and Christian identity. The divisions between mainstream Judeo-Christians and the identity Christians rest upon deeper criteria than the simple identification and tracing of the roots of the house of Israel, Judah, David. The difference is theologically deeper than the simple formula. And so he lists a bunch of headings here, which I'll just skip over and go into what he, he has three categories, philosophical reductionist relativism, adaptive Judeo-Christianity, and maintaining the tenets of Christian identity. So he lists as purpose, philosophical reductionism, international socialism, UNO, globalism, international banking, military, governments, control of communications and health, etc. Adaptive Judeo-Christianity, signed recognition of state sovereignty, 
separation of church and state within international socialist policies, acknowledge a competitive status within pluralism and diversity, equality while other religions and ideologies, cult status, recognize other salvation avenues. In other words, it's become universalized. Judeo-Christianity is universalism. And then third category is Christian identity, participation in representation and promotion of the kingdom of God under Christ's authority and sovereignty, preparation of the church for Christ's second coming, proclamation of the kingdom of God as a witness to all nations, respect for God's creation, other human races, each of which has been created for a specific role within God's plan. Even within Christian identity, there are a number of preterists who believe that the kingdom is already here, that all prophecy was fulfilled on or about 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. However, the book of Revelation was not written until 90 AD, so you'd have to throw out the book of Revelation. So, I'm a historicist. I believe that the all prophecy has its historical fulfillment, and much of it wasn't fulfilled until the 20th century, and there's only a few prophecies that still remain to be fulfilled. The major one being, as I just mentioned, the dead men's bones coming back to life, a great awakening in these end times, and realization of who the enemy is, namely the Jews, a great awakening happening on that account, and other developments which will unify the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, and Caucasian people under a true appreciation of the covenant message. His second category is law, and philosophical reductionist view is imperial Roman and Babylonian rules and regulations. Yeah, that's, that's basically anything that isn't common law, which has been imposed and replaced common law in America and Britain and wherever it existed. Uh, relative Judeo-Christianity or universalism, mission interpreted in Aristotelian algebraic terms, Thomas Aquinas, Roman law, Babylonian authority, and I would say the main thing is the impetus to convert non-Israelites. The missionary movement in, in both Protestantism and Catholicism that which is totally divorced from the covenant message, with these missionaries believing that they have to go to the other races and other countries and, and save them for Jesus, right? Again, well-intentioned nonsense that destroys the covenant relationship between Yahweh and his people. And a movement which has been a miserable failure from beginning to end. Yet, the missionary movement of these churches claims great success in winning converts to Christ. Yet, all the evidence shows that as soon as the missionary leaves that foreign country and that other race, they revert to type and become pagans and antichrists all over again. That's the actual evidence. They know it. However, the missionary movement, especially among the Protestant denominations, 
gets contributions from every single church, the ones that are left, <laughs> right? And that's how it has been funded. So this is like, well, if you want to join this denomination, you have to be a missionary. Uh, the same thing is true of the Mormons, but at least the Mormons, I think, focus mainly on working here in America and maybe Canada. So they're, they're focused primarily on white people, but nevertheless, it's a false doctrine. So it's still, it's still universalism. It has become universalism. And then, uh, Christianity, or Christian identity, where he includes, uh, geometric natu- natural law, or, you know, the, the God's, God's creation, representative Republican government. He adds St. Augustine, which I would never do, and uh, covenant-based definitions for commandments, laws, statutes, etc. The kingdom. The kingdom and the covenant. So, identity, which is his third category. Uh, so, the, uh, the first group is the reductionists. Revolutionary and re- legislative change of all social authority and structure to establish pluralism democracy, populism within the Roman Babylonian international law, namely globalism. And then the second category of universalists, pluralism, diversity, and integration. Yeah, the, all the races must be integrated, even though the authoritarians want to maintain their Jewishness, <laughs> right? And the identity position, covenant between the eternal God and the descendants of those who are of the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and rejection of the Babylonian program, which, of course, is the rejection of materialism per se, right? Uh, And biblical economic precepts, such as common law, and just weights and measures, etc., we reject all of that. So we reject the first two categories. So in the beginning, when uh, I'll just have to mention Dr. Wesley Swift and Bertrand Perret, when they came up with the two seed line doctrine and determining that the Jews are descended from the fallen ones through Cain, that that brought us back to our senses, away from universalism, back to the covenant message. I don't think you can be, well, let's put it this way, there are covenant Christians in identity who are not two seed line, but many of them actually believe that Jews can be saved. The Bible does not teach that because they're Edomites and it predicts the destruction of Edom, the absolute annihilation of Edom, they shall be as though they had never been. So, in my opinion, the, the anti-seedliners haven't studied their Bible closely enough. Yeah, Paul, that's why missionary nonsense doesn't work. And it's a lie. It's a lie, and they know it's a lie. In fact, who was I talking to that uh, said, oh, I think it was up among the Mormons, that the Israelis send rabbis into Mormondom and get them to volunteer to go to Israel and work and work on the kibbutz, right? 
So, an honest analysis of that is simply that, since Jews don't farm, and Jews don't like to get their hands dirty with actual work, they'll get their hands bloody, but not dirty, they get Christian volunteers to do their work for them and feed the parasite. Yes, and a goat cannot be a sheep, right? They're two different breeds. They have different DNA, as we all know, in identity. And identity is all about DNA, the DNA of the Anglo-Saxon Adamic people. And you cannot convert to being an Israelite. You can become a Catholic or a Protestant or even a Jew, but you, you're, you can't convert your DNA. Although they are trying to do that with the jab, they are trying to convert your DNA. As is becoming more and more obvious, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to destroy us by hook or crook. So terminology, the people... Hebrews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Judah, and House of David, and the Khazars? I don't know why he includes them there, because the Khazars are not Hebrews. Let's see what he has to say. Today, secular and religious environments confuse the definition of the terms. The taboos and emotional codes lead to hiding the true identity of the Jewish people who are viewed as being the chosen people of the Bible. However, upon a closer examination, it becomes clear that the term Jew slash Jewish is not synonymous nor interchangeable with the biblical terms Hebrew, Israel, and Judah, or House of David, descendants of Abraham, etc. And many Jewish authorities clearly state that the Old Testament is not the history of the modern Jewish people. The popular belief that the modern Jews are the people of the Christian Bible are simply a, a case of mistaken identity. No, it's a case of identity theft. Origins of the modern Jewish people. The majority of the modern Jewish people, over 85%, don't have Semitic origins. And the rest are only partly Semitic. This has become evidence through research and evidence that has been available for hundreds of years. For example, Arthur Kessler, Kazaria.com, etc. And is also corroborated by Jewish authoritative sources, the Jewish Encyclopedia and the Khazars, uh, books like The Invention of the Jewish People, etc., etc., etc. I mean, the Jews themselves, or individual Jews and some Jewish groups, admit that this is all phony, that they are in fact Khazars, and they will never convert to Christianity, <laughs> no matter how they try, how hard they try. And the vast majority don't even try. They just pretend for the benefit of the universalists that they're trying, right? The East European Ashkenazi Jewish people are identified as arriving in Eastern Europe after the fall of the Khazar Empire, 3rd to 11th century AD, this Japheth Turco Mongolic people occupied the territories which approximate the modern country of the Ukrainian Republic and who have converted from a phallic polytheistic religion to Judaism in the 10th century AD. The Khazar Empire was situated in a central geographical location, which in its later years played a major political role among Christian Constantinople, Rome, and the expanding Muslims in the Middle East. The Khazar Empire came into conflict with the Varangians, the Vikings, 
who used the Slavic-Russian rivers, Volga, Dnieper, when they traveled from the Scandinavian territories to trade with Constantinople and with Italy. These Vikings, who eventually helped form and manage the Rus state, the, oh, the Rus state, finally defeated the Khazar Empire in the 10th century. The Jewish Khazarians then moved in three directions, westward into East Europe, south into the Muslim territories, and some southwestward into the Orient, or southeastward into the Orient. The modern state of Israel, therefore, should really be called New Khazaria. The percentage of the original Hebrew, Israelite, and Judahite genome among the Khazarians is negligibly insignificant as zero. But the overwhelming Khazarian genome among today's Talmudic Jewish people and believers is overwhelming and dominant. That's correct. Well said, it is curious that the Judeo-Christian clergy and authorities in the seminaries go out of their way to hide this obvious fact. At the same time, should someone present this historical evidence as proof of the Judeo-Christian clergy and their authorities will not only isolate and blacklist the revealer from the church, but also denounce the revealer to you, to the Talmudic authorities. At the same time, Except for a few published Jewish scholars, the Jews hypocritically continue to comfortably play the Hollywood role of being the people of the Bible, promoting the belief that Jesus Christ, the apostles, the first church members, and everyone back to Abraham were all Jewish. Before we can trace the origins and history of the true house of Israel, Judah, and David to the modern times in Europe, America, and the Commonwealth countries, it is necessary to examine how the Old and New Testament terminology has been used. It will be shown that should these testaments have been read in their original languages, or with the aid of language concordances, glossaries, and by using statistical and contextual linguistics, much of the confusion on biblical issues, cases of identities, and the true Christian and Babylonian missions would have been uncovered, rediscovered, or known long ago. Actually, they the identity theft could have never occurred had we Christians been able to speak Hebrew and Greek. And even Aramaic would have done in place of Hebrew. So had Christians read those texts in the original languages, all of this nonsense of redefining words into English and German and Latin, etc., would have never happened. It's the translators who did the dirty work. So the term Yehud, or Yehudi, Hebrew, quote, Jew, in the Old Testament. The first time that the term, which is translated as Jews, Yehudi, appears in the KJV Old Testament is in 2 Kings 16.6. Quote, At that time, reason, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria, and drave the Judah, Yehudim, meaning the Judahites, from Elath. And the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. Unquote. This is an event that took place over 1,000 years after Abraham and Moses. This term Yehudi, Hebrew, is used an additional 84 times in 76 verses thereafter in the Old Testament. It is found twice in Second Kings 16 and 18. Nehemiah opens with a question that Hanan, or sorry, Hanani, one of my brethren, came 
he and certain men of Judah, Yehud, and I asked them concerning the Yehudim that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem, Nehemiah 1-2, where the term which is usually translated as Jew is linked to Judah, Yehuda. And of course, we have argued linguistically here at Eurofolk Radio that in the Old Testament, Yehud and Yehudim should never be translated by the word Jew. The terms that are translated as Jewish, Yehudi or Yehudim, should be translated as Judahites in the modern English language, meaning from the nation's house of Judah. This same pattern is evident in the rest of the Old Testament quotations, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Zechariah, and even the book of Esther 46 times, where we find that Mordecai is a Benjamite from the tribe of Judah, or the house of Judah, more correctly. Quote, Now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Judahite, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah from whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. That's Esther. Esther is not a Jewish book. How many identians still believe that Esther is a Jewish book? Just because it contains the word Jew in it. Get your definitions. Get your definitions correct. Two, the term Judah is first associated with Abraham's son Judah. See Genesis twenty nine thirty five and is used 810 times in 748 uh, Old Testament verses to designate Judah the person. The tribe, the children of Judah, geographical locations, but primarily the people. Yehud as Judah or a Judahite, Yehudim as the Judahite people. Geographical locations such as wilderness of Judah and land of Judah, and finally to distinguish between the houses of Judah and of Israel, none of these had been designated as being Jews in the KJV, NIV, or any other version. Yeah, the word Jew was a late invention, actually, and not until the uh, 17th century, even. The Old Testament identifies the existence of a Judahite language. Yeah, with Hebrew. <laughs> the term, therefore, means a Judahite language, but it has been mistranslated in KJV and NIV as being the Jew's tongue, which would still be Hebrew. Four, this Judahite definition is also consistent with the term used in the books of Maccabees 1 and 2. Very important books. Conclusion. The Old Testament terms Yehud, Yehudah, Yehudim, clearly refer to the Judahites and Judah. We see the Judahite as the descendant of the Hebrew Abraham, Isaac, and one of Jacob's sons, Judah, and as the designation of this tribe slash house of Judah, as it is either distinct from the house of Israel or as an integral part of the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon. In the Old and New Testaments, Judah's children, language, and geographical areas should not have been translated in the English as Jewish as if it referred to potentially non-Judahite origins, or would have included all Judahites and Israelites under the term Jewish, a misconception that has existed for millennia. 
Well, actually, I don't think it's existed for that long, but uh, you know, the popularization of the word Jew and as a substitute for Israel, I don't think that that's uh, that old. I think that's fairly recent, like a couple hundred years. Anyway, similarly, it should be noted that the term Yehudi did not appear in the Old Testament prior to Second Kings 16.6 in the KJV. We find that this term is translated into English in three forms as Jew, Judah, or Yehudi. In the first and second Maccabees, the quote Jews are clearly the Judahites, who are also related to the Spartans, South Trojans, who are considered to be the descendants of the Israelites, the Zerah branch of the tribe of Judah, through Zerah's sons Darda, see Maccabees twelve, seven through seven through twenty three. At the same time, it should be noted at the time of Nehemiah, Ezra, I think it means Ezra, Maccabees, and the New Testament, we can identify Judahites who had intermarried with other tribes and nations and appear as antagonistic Jews, the followers, namely half-breeds, the followers of the traditions of the elders' Babylonian writings. These worked fervently to counter the missions of the righteous Judahites. Now, isn't it interesting that the half-breeds are even more venomous in their fight against us than the actual Edomites, <laughs> right? So, well, I guess because they they realize that they can never be a Judahite, <laughs> right? And that that irks them to no end, and nor should we accept them as Judahites. They are half-breeds, and that's what they are, Okay. Well, yes, uh, Swamp Fox, uh, we, we, as Israelites, the, the, the Bible says that all people on the earth will acknowledge Yahweh or be destroyed, right? Does that, that does not mean that they will be Israelites or be covenanted. They will have a better life under our dominion as they previously did because the, the second coming will reestablish the dominion of Adam, Adamic man at the judgment day. No doubt about that. That's what the Bible is all about, reestablishing our dominion. But we will have uh, glory bodies which cannot be, be killed, at least those of us Israelites in the kingdom. I don't think the other races are going to get that. Let's continue. The context, uh, oh, the Greek term Judeos may refer to any citizen of the Roman province of Judea. A, a Judean, someone who have who was, who may have been of the tribe of Judah, a Judahite, John 4.9, Levites and Benjamites, or some from the kingdom of Israel, see Samaria, Galilee, etc. A Judean, someone who may not have been of the tribe of Judah, Okay, so there are two types of Judeans, the Judahites, including, of course, the Benjaminites, so the house of Judah, and everybody else, mainly Edomites. So there are two distinct genomes at work in Judea, the Judahite and the Edomite. There are small numbers of others, but those are the two main ones. And it was at this time, under John Hyrcanus, the hundred years before Christ, that these Edomites 
began infiltrating positions of authority over Judah, with certainly with the help of the Romans, and th- thus began the, the method of impersonating Israel, impersonating Judah in those days, which, uh, which is a technique the Jews have mastered, become the absolute masters of, and are, are you know, deceiving the whole world as a result. Okay, that's uh, Revelation twelve fifteen. The beast that deceiveth the whole world. No, sorry, twelve nine. The beast that deceiveth the whole world. Next, a Judean, someone who may not have been of the tribe of Judah, but may have been a descendant of one of Abraham's other children through Ishmael and Keturah. Okay, yeah, well, I mean, all kinds of people living in Judea, but mainly the first two groups that he mentions here. Uh, he doesn't mention the Edomites yet. Uh, see a Judean any of any other nation or peoples who have hap- happened to become permanent residents in the Roman province of Judea. Okay, as in men of Judea. So, but even men of Judea could be a specific rever- a reference to the men of Israel because there are, the Israelites living there were also men of Judea, right? So you have to be very specific as to which genome, which ethnic group you're talking about. Okay, we have about five minutes left. And let's see, I'll just read through this section here. It is a very long document. And I'm not going to continue this, because uh, this is stuff that most of us in identity already know. But it's good to... Uh, read a document which verifies and completely agrees with uh, identity theology. So next heading, the context of the New Testament also suggests a difference between Judeans and some Judeans, Judeos, who represent a plotting and murderous lot. This group includes the highest levels of the ruling authorities that are simply called the the Judeos, the Jews, and who are distinct from other people who were Judahites or not. This sinister Judeos, A, have their own Passover, John 2, 13, 6, and that is correct, they have their own calendar too. B, constantly challenge Jesus Christ and are answered by Jesus Christ. C, the only protagonist among the Judeos leadership is Nicodemus. Uh, there may have, well, actually, Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin as well, he just wasn't present very much. D, the majority of the Judeos leaders persecute Jesus plan and contract his execution, and finally Jesus Christ through the trials, judgment, and crucifixion itself. E. The general public fears these Judeos. F. We find that their father is not Abraham, but the devil, John 8.44. G. And are of, of those who had killed the prophets. These Judeos were the same as the adherents of the Babylonian religions. That is correct because there was intermarriage between the Babylonians from Sepharvaim, which was a province of Babylon, who were placed in the vicinity of Judah, Judah, the land of Judah. When the Israelites were taken captive by the Assyrians, the Assyrians dragged some of these Sepharvaim over to take the place of, of the Israelites. And these, along with the Edomites, combined their forces against the returning Judahites, when they were finally set free from Babylon. Okay, so let's see, where did I leave off here? Okay, H. These Judeas recognized Caesar as their king. 
Yeah, because they were under contract to Caesar through Herod and Antipater. I, they do not hear his voice, John 8, and follow the traditions of the elders, which means their own traditions. J, Jesus finally walked no more openly among the Judeans. John 7, 1 says, Jesus would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. K, and when being alluded to as being king of the Judeos, Jesus Christ stated that his kingdom is not of this world, order, time. John 18.37 And instead we find that Yahshua Messiah is the king of Israel, not of Judea, or of the Jews. L, the Judeos continue to plot against Jesus Christ's apostles. M, the Judeos had a network of synagogues, and were Sabbath keepers. O. Sorcerers. P. False prophets. Q. Exorcists. R. Vagabonds. You go back to Genesis 4.1, right? Or 4.13, I think it is. S. Stir up people and government against the apostles and Christians. T. We find that there are at least two Judeos honorable women. Okay, well, if they're honorable women, they're Israelites. Okay, so because Judeo simply means people residing in a particular territory, it does not have a racial specification to it as the word Judahite does. Okay, so these quotations clearly show that a group known as Judeos has been identified as being distinct from other populations, and these Judeos we today know as Jews, they were never Judahites, they were never Israelites, they were never Christians, and can never be any of the above. Okay, folks, so a very good document here. It's a little wordy. The writer is a bit wordy. He could you know, say things in a more concise language than he does, but that's his style. But nevertheless, it... It totally confirms our Christian identity point of view. So thanks to the author for writing this. It's a great read. More people should read this and take advantage of it. So thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all whenever. (laughs) Take care. Yahweh bless. Free people who never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Okay.